Well, it's good to, good to see you all. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, it must be fall. I'm seeing a lot more flannel today. I love it. Like we're, we're turning that corner into flannel season, and I love flannel season. So I'm not wearing a flannel, but I do own several. So um, hey, it's good to be with you. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here at Christ the King Blaine. Um, we're going to get into the word today, but I want to pray before we, we jump into the gospel of Mark. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning and this season, God, of, of fall. Lord, as Ricky mentioned, uh, some of us might might be here this morning, me included, and feel a little tired, uh, had a crazy week. And Lord, all we want to do today is experience you more. Lord, all we want to do today is get a taste of Jesus um, in this moment, in our lives, in the busyness, um, in the chaos, in the whatever we had to deal with, whatever's on our mind, whatever we might be struggling with, all we want to do today is see you more clearly. So, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, that that would happen. Uh, as we talk about Jesus, in this, in, in, as we look at this story you, you told in the, in the book of Mark, Lord, may you illuminate, uh, illuminate this truth to our hearts. Lord, may it not be old hat, uh, may it not go above our heads, but may it sink into our hearts um, that we might experience you in a deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark this year, and uh, it's been, a, it's been a, good, a, a good walk through um, this first gospel that was written. Uh, Mark was also called John Mark in the book of Acts. He was a... Uh, um, ministry partner of Paul, Barnabas, and then later Peter. Um, in fact, if you read the book of Acts, you see that John Mark abandons um, Paul and Barnabas on one of their missionary journeys and creates some drama between those two guys, and later ends up with, with Peter and basically um, takes down Peter's thoughts on the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus. So when you read the Gospel of Mark, it's the Gospel that's most influenced by Peter, who is a, a disciple of Jesus. And so we've walked through, we're, we're in chapter 12 this week, and we're, we're to a point where Jesus is in the last week of, of his uh, life before the cross. He's in the, the last week, he's, it's looking towards the cross, he's in Jerusalem, and he's spending time in dialogue, and argument, more like, with the uh, religious leaders of Jerusalem at that time. Uh, we're going to talk about them more. They're called the Sanhedrin. Jesus is in uh, a, a uh, conflict with the Sanhedrin. Um, they were a powerful group of men, the, the ruling, kind of the ruling Jewish powers of Jerusalem. They, hold, they held a lot of authority, and they were the people that Jesus ticked off, picked a fight with, went after. He didn't go after the, 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 the sinners, the sexually immoral, the, the, the people who knew that they were flawed, he went after these religious leaders. And today we're going to talk about um, who, who really is the hero of our story. Because these guys saw themselves as heroes when really Jesus exposed them as, as villains. And sometimes when the truth is revealed, it hurts. When the truth about people that, that maybe we looked up to or respected, when the truth comes out, it, it hurts. I mean, if I was to mention, 
you know, famous celebrity names like Matt Lauer or Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby, at one point those guys were celebrated until, until truth came out. I, I, I grew up with Bill Cosby's humor, right? I, I enjoyed watching the Cosby show. And then, all, and Bonnie and I even went to, before all the, all the stuff came out on Bill Cosby, went to one of his shows, and it was really funny. It was two and a half hours long, and I was like, how can a 70-plus-year-old guy have this, like, amount of, uh, uh, of endurance to power through a two-and-a-half-hour comedy show, you know? And, but then the truth came out, and sometimes the truth hurts. You don't want to hear all the details about what happened and um, you know, with with uh, with these all these guys, sexual misconduct, rape. We don't we don't want to focus on that, but yet that was that was the truth that was revealed. Maybe there's someone in your life that you once held up as a hero that that God found out and it just crushed you. You know, we maybe we've had that experience. Or how about this? Have you ever had someone reveal to you that you weren't the hero you thought you were? I have. Um, when we first moved to Whatcom County, I was really excited to live here. Uh, we were really excited to, to do ministry here. It was a, my first time in full-time ministry as an associate pastor with a church in Ferndale, and I just hit the ground running. Like, I, I uh, was leading small groups. I was leading worship. I was running the youth group. I was doing too much. <laughs> And I found myself busy out in four to five nights a week on top of working all day. And I thought I was really valiant in, in sacrificing and doing the work that God wanted me to do. Like, oh, it's good. It's, uh, you know, I'm pushing through. I'm, 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 I'm doing great things for God. That, that was my feeling. And then one day, Bonnie was kind enough to let me know I wasn't being that heroic. That, in fact, I had neglected my family in the middle of that. I kind of pushed all that aside, sacrificed everything on the altar of what does the church need? What does the church need? And uh, she was kind enough to let me know that I had neglected my family and really, really done some damage. We had a really hard conversation one night. And all of a sudden, I didn't feel like a hero. I felt like a fool. Like, God, what have I been doing? Like, I can't, I can't, God, you never asked me to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. God, you never asked me to, to sacrifice uh, my relationship with my spouse um, on the altar of ministry, and yet that's what I was doing because I thought I was being so noble, so heroic, so valiant. Sometimes we need someone to tell us the truth that hurts. Sometimes we need to let, we need to hear, um, hear from other people so that we see how God sees us not how we see us, right? Not, not, how, not how we see us. Sometimes, maybe you grew up listening to the story of David and Goliath. And when you think of the story of David and Goliath, you put yourself in David's shoes, and the rest of the world is Goliath. But is, is that who we are, though? Maybe we're not David. Maybe we're one of those Israelites over on the side just relieved that somebody's taken this battle on. Like, whew, at least it's not me, you know? But we do, we have this... It's a human thing to make ourselves the hero of the story. And so in this passage today, we're going to open up to Mark 12. And Jesus is in the middle of this confrontation with the Sanhedrin, who see themselves 
as heroes. Um, this group is composed of chief priests, Pharisees, elders, scribes, people who have studied for a long time, people who have um, had the respect of the, 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 uh, the Jewish people. They're elite, they're respected, they're feared. And they see themselves as defenders of faith and tradition, standing up to the Roman Empire, uh, maintaining the Jewish law. They see themselves as heroes, like the standard bearers of God in a dark time. And then Jesus shows up and ruins it all for them. He just messes up the party. And so we're going to go ahead and read this story. This is in uh, Mark 12, and we're going to see the, the contrast of, of who Jesus says that they are and who Jesus is in the middle of it. So this is what it says in verse 1. It says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the, for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. All right, so that's the whole parable. That's what we're talking about today. And this story finds Jesus in the middle of the temple, in the, in the Sanhedrin's turf, having this conversation, telling this story. And this r comes right after a passage where, where the, uh, the religious leaders had questioned Jesus' authority. They had questioned his miracles. They had questioned his teaching. They, they um, asked him by what power he did this. They were trying to question his religious authority. And what we know about um, the Sanhedrin is that the driving motivation was jealousy and fear. They were jealous of what Jesus could do, and they were afraid of losing their power. And so every time, it's like, it's sort of a situation where they don't learn, right? Every time they push Jesus, he exposes them, and he exposes their hearts. And so this happens again and again in Scripture. And, he, and Jesus proves that he's the Messiah again and again and again, but, but they refuse to believe. So... Because in their minds, they are the heroes. And, and this Jesus is challenging that narrative. He's telling a different story, a story that they don't like because it hurts, right? He's telling them a different story. And, and just to get into the story, it's a story about um, a farmer and tenants. So a farmer builds this, just as, it the, as it's described, a really beautiful vineyard. He builds a watchtower, which 
you know, watches out for bandits and stuff like that at that time. Um, he built a wine press that, that would be built into a hill. So just the, uh, the way that, that the story is described, it's this beautiful vineyard. And, of course, that's the, the promise of God given, given to his people. Um, he, and and he, he, uh, he leases us out to tenants as he's leaving. Um, but the plan is to come back and get a portion of the fruit, not all of it. But this allows the tenants to make a living and, and him to benefit off of their work as payment. And so we could go back into all the history. We could talk about how this is connected to the, the covenant of Abraham. You know, Jesus made a deal with, didn't make a deal. He made a covenant with, with Abraham that, that he would lead him to a land and that he'd be a blessing. And through him, all nations of the world would be blessed. And then uh, God made another covenant with Moses, um, taking them out of slavery in Egypt, leading them to the promised land, giving them the land, giving them the law always telling them to, you know, to obey his commandments, right? So the, the principle, if you want to be blessed, you have to obey what I say. You know, you have to live in obedience, worship me, worship one God, don't, don't look around at idols, like just stay focused on me and you'll be blessed. And that was the promise of the nation of Israel. But if you read the Old Testament, you see that they just go through cycles of failure and repentance. That's the whole Old Testament. It's just they go through cycles of failure and repentance, and God is always patient. I love that about this story. Like, if you feel like this story is just a complete downer, just focus on the patience of God. Because God is really, really patient with us and with his people throughout history. And I love that about God. None of us would be here if God wasn't patient. Can we say amen to that? Right? Like, we would be out doing what— If God wasn't patient, we'd probably be dead. Um, for sure we'd be dead. But um, if God wasn't patient, like, he, if God just cut us off, none of us would be here. We all rely on the patience of God, which is incredible, because I don't have the patience that God does in this story. Right? But what we see, it, it, more than anything, yes, it's a sad story, but it, it's a story of the incredible patience of God towards his people. And that's demonstrated throughout the Old Testament. Through all of their disobedience, God sends prophets. And that's who he's talking about when he talks about these servants that are, are sent and, and beaten and killed. And the way he describes it is, is, is uh, progressively worse. The first guy got beat up. The second guy got beat. Basically, the, the text says he was beat repeatedly on the head, like beat to the point of having brain trauma. And then they start killing the servants. And, and that's what we see throughout history. When people, when God sends his people, um, you know, if you read the prophets, they, they weren't treated well. People didn't like the news that they offered because it wasn't news of blessing. It was a news of, of get right or there's going to be severe consequences right? So we see this progress, 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 and, and then we see Jesus in the story. And notice it's like his last, his last messenger. I'll send my son. I'll send my son. He says, they will respect my son. So what you see is not just patience with God, but a, an unswerving resolve to reconnect with us, to get to us, to get to our heart. Like, if you don't take anything out of this message today, just know that God is pursuing you. 
and he's willing to give anything away to reach your heart. He says, he sends his son, he says, they will respect my son. Like, at least they'll, they'll revere him, they'll respect his authority, they'll see my heart, and hey, I'm willing to make my son vulnerable to you. Like, they'll, maybe they'll respond to that. I'm willing to expose my son to, to your will. Just that um, he's, he's willing to be so personal uh, with these guys. And I know when I first read this story this week, it's one of those stories where you're like, yeah, I, I get this. You know, it's like the gospel, right? It's like, it's easy to breeze by this story. I've heard this a million times before, but this makes it so personal, right? We need to live in this story that God would be willing to expose his son to us. That, that doesn't get less profound over time. That should get more profound. The gospel is not a starting point. The good news of God that he wants to be with us is not the starting point. It's the destination. And so we need to live in this story because it shows the amazing patience and love of God. And so this is, this is sort of sort of my, um, this is sort of what I, what I got from this that, that I want to share with you today. Kind of what hit me this week is that God is willing to hurt for you. God is willing to hurt and be hurt for you. That in he was willing to expose his son, whom he loves, right? John 3.16, my one and only son, to us so that we could be restored. If I was the farmer, I probably would have uh, cut off the relationship after the first servant got beat up and sent back to me, right? But God is like, again and again and again, so patient, like ridiculous, ridiculously patient. Like his, uh, his farmer buddies are looking at him and be like, are you crazy? Just get rid of these people. Get rid of these guys. Get an army together and go take them out, right? They're evil. But yet God is so patient. And he's just, no, let's, we're, we're going to keep going after the people. So if you feel like you are not valuable to God, look at what he's willing to do to restore a relationship with you. He, are you worth this kind of pursuit? To God you are. To God you are worth this kind of pursuit. Never doubt how valuable you are to God. That's why we need to live in the gospel, because it reminds us of how valuable we are, how loved we are. God doesn't need you, but he loves you. God, let me say that again. God doesn't need you, but he loves you. He loves you and pursues you. So Jesus is telling this story, knowing that days later, these same guys that he's talking to will arrange his death. You know, that's the irony that's just kind of dripping through this story as Jesus calls them out, is that Jesus is saying the story to the, to the guys that will be responsible for putting him on trial and sending him to the cross. And he says something about the nature of that, of that death in the passage. He says, um, he describes it, he says, But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So this is the ultimate insult. 
the ultimate insult. Not only would they kill the son, but they'd throw him outside. They wouldn't bury him, which is a, is a big deal anywhere, but especially in Jewish culture that's more honor-focused. To throw a body outside for the birds and animals and all that is like the ultimate disgrace. So he's saying, you will have no <laughs> regard for me, you know, basically is what he's saying. He's, he's really showing like the, the depth of the evil here, right? The depth of the evil. And of course, we know he's talking about the Sanhedrin because it says they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Um, they, they picked it up. They, got, they made the connection. They're not, they're not stupid. They're smart. They know what Jesus is talking about. And they also know what's going on in their hearts at that moment. What's crazy to me is that they still went ahead and proceeded. Like, it must have just been like a blind rage inside, right? Like, I don't care what he says, right? We're just going to take him out. They were so focused on their power and being, holding on to their power and being right that they, they weren't willing to listen to Jesus. Like, they were just focused on themselves. They didn't want to be wrong. And I'm trying to think about, okay, well, what do we need to take away from this as, as a church today? Well, I'm not saying that, 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 that we're like the, the Sanhedrin in every way. I mean, we, we are. We benefit from the, the death of Christ. And we, we did despise Jesus before he came into our lives. And, and hopefully you've been set free to see what he's done for you. Hopefully you've been set free and you know the love of God. And you know that he did this for you. And you have that connection. But I got this idea of, uh, of sometimes it's so easy to make us the center of our story. Right? To make us the, the I said the hero, but to make us, us the, the hero, us the, the standard. It's Hedron here to become, become a moralist. Like, I'm the, I'm the line. Like, everybody below me just isn't meeting the bar. And it's easy to, to, to be a hero by comparing ourselves to other people who aren't doing as well as us, right? You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, we can focus on other people's sin. We can focus on addiction. We can fo focus on sexual perversion. But here the sin that killed Jesus was religious pride, it was religious pride that killed Jesus. Jesus was a friend to those who knew they were messed up. Right? Those who were willing to admit, yeah, I'm a sinner, I need you. Jesus came alongside. But Jesus went after those people who like, thought they were like, above the fray. Who thought they didn't need help. The Sanhedrin was a group of zealous religious people. They lived moral lives. They looked really, really good. And Jesus came and showed their hearts to the world. You know why? Not just to shame them, so that, but that we wouldn't live that way. Right? That the church wouldn't live that way. That his people would not live that way. In fact, he says, live like me. Right? Follow me. You know, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Right? I'm not trying to put on the, the, the religious pomp and circumstance show that you see over and over again by these, by these religious leaders. Like, my path is a different path. And it might look a lot more humble and a lot less prestigious, 
than the way that these guys are living and what they're going after. So the question for all of us today really is just, it's, it's really a question between you and God. Because nobody, nobody can answer this question but you. Who's the hero of your story? You or Jesus? Who's at the center of your story? Is it you or Jesus? And this is a simple question that means everything. It, me it means everything. Because on one hand, it might be easy to say, yeah, of course, Jesus is my hero. But because we're all human, and, and I include myself as a human, it's easy to, put or easy to put ourselves at the top, right? Especially when we're not walking in humility before God, especially when we're not walking in the Spirit. It's easy to put ourselves at the top and start comparing, right? Start thinking that we know more than we do. And so if, if we ever find ourselves in that trap, and if you find yourself in that trap this morning, it's time to change the narrative. It's time to change the narrative and allow Jesus to be that hero. Because he did this for you. He did this for you. He's like David, who we all benefit from his bravery, but he's the brave one. Right? That's Jesus. Jesus is the courageous one. Jesus is the champion. Jesus is the hero. And you know what? We get to worship and praise him for that. Uh, for, for that. Give him glory for that. And we try to live life in light of that. If I try to be the hero, that means all success depends on me and, and, and what I do. It becomes all about what I do and how I appear. I have to prove myself time and time again. Uh, I have to work super hard. The Sanhedrin worked their whole life to prove their worth. Uh, they had huge self-awareness when it came to how they were perceived. And, and if we're not careful, we can really easily slip into that. Like, uh, how do I look? Not, where's my heart at? If, I, if I'm the hero of the story, I can become really blind to my own pride, Right? Instead of looking inward, examining my own life, or looking at Christ and being free, I can just be focused on, oh man, did I do everything right? Did I get it all perfect? What flows out of a prideful heart is like bitterness, resentment, disdain, anger, especially, and, and judgment towards others that, that don't measure up. What I also see in this story is that there is um, the Sanhedrin had a disconnect between their story and the story of their fathers. You know, so they didn't see themselves as repeating any cycles. You know, they didn't see them, they saw themselves as different. Like in their, in their minds, they celebrated the prophets that their fathers had killed, and Jesus brings that up. And so for us, like, it's so easy for us to want to disassociate maybe with, with the sins of the past, right? Maybe... Maybe there's alcoholism in your, in your family story. Um, maybe there is, you know, abuse. Maybe there's materialism, you see. Racism is a big one. It's easy to disconnect. Like, well, that was back then. Like, no, like, examine your heart, right? We need to examine our heart. And it's easy to disconnect from, from the, the past to what's going on now. God, am I repeating the sins of, of, of my fathers? 
Lord, examine my heart. Am I harboring resentment or fear towards anybody? When we place ourselves at the center of our story, we get this wrong narrative, right? Because we're not supposed to be the heroes. When we get to heaven one day, we aren't going to be all worshiping you or me. All together, every tribe and tongue and nation, the whole world, no matter what they went through, no matter how much they suffered, no matter how much money they got, or no matter how good they were, all the praise is going to be projected to God and Jesus. That's, that's who we get to worship. So what that frees us up to do is just live in gratitude. Gratitude and grace. Gratitude and grace. That's what we get to live in. That's what happens when Jesus is the hero of our story. We get to live in gratitude and grace. We get to live and, and follow Jesus and whatever, whatever we do, like the Bible talks about how God even uses our sufferings. When we suffer well, we bring glory to Jesus. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve all the blessings that he's given us. None of us do. None of, none of us deserve the life that he's given us, but guess what? We get to live in gratitude because he's done it. He is the hero. That frees me from being the hero or trying to justify myself, right? Trying to, like, try, trying to, 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 to be more than I am, right? So all of the blessings in life, all of the friendship, all of the community, uh, your, your job, your family, all of it is a blessing from God. It's a blessing of grace to be received in gratitude, right? That's, you know what that's called? It's called freedom. You are free from having to be the hero. You just get to follow the one who is. Because if we're the hero, that facade will crumble one day. Right? It will break down because you know what? We're not perfect. Right? We aren't. Jesus is the hero so we can rest. All we need to do is follow him. Follow him, submit to him. He will help us to be like him through his spirit. And in that, we get to experience joy. We get to live a life of worship and praise. We get to celebrate blessings we don't have to feel bad for for like if god's given you something good like that's good right and it's it's because of him it's his grace sometimes we can work so hard and forget that um you guys know uh, two weeks ago i was in illinois um, studying at wheaton and uh, my professor told told us this story i just wanted to share this with you this is about his life by the way, I, I love my professor because he's like, don't call me anything but Rob. I was like, I like this guy, you know? My kind of guy, you know? Not professor, so-and-so. Rob. So Rob talked about, he's an older guy, and he told us about a time when he, he had a young family, but he, his career was starting to take off. And he was, he was teaching, writing. He was, he was a well-respected scholar. They were asking him to chair this department, and so it was just taking off. And he described his life as do, 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 right? Do, do, right? But no, all I do is I, I, I go, I work, I, you know, I, I, I try to be what other people think I am, right? I try to be a success. And he was working and doing, 
and trying to live up to this high opinion that others had of him. And he, one day he noticed when he came home that one of his daughters had done this art project at school where they asked, uh, they asked them to, to draw a picture of, his, of their family. And his daughter had, had drawn this picture where all of the family was together except for him. And in fact, he was like way over out on the edge and only half of him was actually on the page. And he realized like, oh man, I'm missing something big. It's like that story, like God never asked me to sacrifice my family for the sake of, of ministry. And he had a, a, uh, a realization, uh, his heart broke, and it led him to this journey where instead of doing and doing and doing, he just wanted to be with Jesus and be with his family. Instead of doing, his focus was on presence. How can I be more present with God, present with my family? How can I be more available? I'm not going to try to play the part of the great man, the great scholar, the great author, the great teacher. God was just calling him to rest in him, to be with God, to, to make Jesus his hero so that he didn't have to be the hero. Jesus had done all that work so Rob could just be with his family. He could just love well. I think God wants that for all of us. God wants us to be with him and be with the people he's, he's put in our lives. One word I've been thinking about the last few weeks is simple, 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 right? How can we live simply? How can we make it simple? How can we be si simply obedient to God? simply present with our community, present in our workplace, present with our family. We make it so complicated sometimes, but it's so simple. Just be with Jesus. Just make Jesus your hero. Just be present with the people that he's put in your life. Friends, we'll be our healthiest when we allow Jesus to be our hero. That's a pressure you're not designed to have. One day, You'll be reigning and ruling, but you'll be doing it with him. That's what scripture says. We will reign and rule with God, right? We, we will. That desire to be something, like, will happen. But you know what we are right here is we are traveling through this life. That road to glory, personal glory, Jesus told us it's, it's, uh, it's humility, Jesus made it, made it apparent that, like, no, if you, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. It's like this upside-down thinking. Don't try to just play the great man. Just If you want to be great, just serve. Just love. And so that's what this picture of this hero, heroic God, willing to sacrifice his son, Jesus, our hero, allows us to just love, allows us to just be present, allows us to just be in gratitude and for, for what God has done. Jesus warned the Sanhedrin that a day was coming when God would destroy all the evil tenants. God does judge. A, a real straight example in 70 AD, the city, Jerusalem, was leveled by the Romans. Um, the, their, <laughs> their positions were all wiped out. Their authority was lost. The temple was flattened. 
on the body of Jesus, a new community was built. That community is the church. It's his kingdom. Jesus said, the stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus was rejected by the Sanhedrin and their religious pride, but on his body, on the grace provided at the cross, the church is built. We have fellowship with each other because what Jesus has done. We can experience unity and forgiveness, acceptance, mercy, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has done it. It's his blood that binds us together, that heals us, that breaks down walls between people. We rest on Jesus. And so what we get to do as the church is we get to be built on the foundation of Christ. We get to rest on him. And we get to worship. Our lives get to be poured out in worship to our hero, Jesus. That's grace. So um, I'm going to pray, and uh, Ricky's going to come and lead in worship this morning. And what we want to do is just allow some time to worship. Allow some time to praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. But I'd, I'd invite you to, if, if you're hearing this message and you feel like, man, you know, I've really put myself at the center. I've really made life about me lately, and I want to get back to making Jesus like the story of my life. Now's a great time to do that individually. Uh, you can come forward for prayer. Um, we're, we're here as a community because God is patient, because, uh, because Jesus died for us so that we could experience restored relationship with God and with each other. So there's grace here. There's safety here. There's love here. So I want to pray for that this morning. Jesus, nothing can take away from the, the magnificence of your love, God. Nothing can take away from the, the crazy, audacious, insane gospel where you would put yourself out and be vulnerable to us, God, broken humanity, that you would allow yourself to suffer and die, to be mistreated, to be thrown outside, the gate. Lord, I don't understand that kind of love. It is a crazy love. It is a unyielding love God, that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in that. Live in your love. Live in your grace. God, that we wouldn't try to prove ourselves to you, but that we could just live in what you've done. Lord, you are the hero. Jesus, you are the hero. We declare it. We declare that you are our hero and Lord. And God, if, if I just want to pray, Lord, if, if, if we've gotten in the way of that or of seeing that, I pray that you'd help, help us to, to take ourselves off the throne and, and put you back on your rightful place. We declare that Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. You are King. You are worthy of praise and honor and glory. And Lord, we
we look forward to a day where we will praise you and see you face to face. So Lord, I pray that that would sink into our hearts and our lives and, and that love would just, just shine through um, every, every part of our lives, whether that is family, work, um, friends, that it would just shine through and restore us, God. Restore us because our tendency is to put ourselves on the throne. Our tendency, God, is to forget you or to, to fill our lives with distraction, to fill our lives with idols, to, to fill our lives with anything but you. And God, in your grace and patience, you seek us out. So Lord, do that again this morning. Do that again. Help us to receive your grace. Lord, we just receive it. We receive that grace. We walk in that grace. We don't live in condemnation. We don't live in perpetual guilt because you've freed us from all that. Lord, you've, you've made us free people in your love and your grace. So help us to walk in that and live in that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand and close and worship this morning. Feel free to uh, come forward. I'd love to pray with you if you want prayer.